HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today, going to get a little salty. Ben Jacobson. I'm sure you've heard that before Never. many a times. <laughs> Jacobson Salt Company. And, you know, it's a fascinating thing. Salt, it feels eponymous in, in, in food, whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, whether or not people are trying to be low-sodium diets or know about finishing salt. It is a very, very important part of culinary arts, culinary history. But a lot of people don't even understand what the hell salt is or how it's made, how it's hand harvested. So we're going to tell them today. So Ben Jacobson grew up Virginia, Vermont, in the wilds, baking bread, your mother's spinach souffle. Uh Yes, absolutely. What was culinary like, life like for you then? Um, culinary life was, um, it was, it centered around home and my mother's home cooking and, um, she was, she was a great cook, not a fancy cook at all, just a, you know, great home cook. And, um, and, uh, I mean, you brought up spinach souffle, but that's literally my favorite thing that she makes still to this day. And it's, um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's so tasty and it's, she puts a little bit of pepper in it and it's, um, I just love it. And I, my favorite thing is, is to have it, uh, is to have it, you know, with a meal, but then also have it leftovers the next day out of the, directly out of the souffle bowl from the fridge. Yeah. Well, you say pepper, is that the arch nemesis, the antithesis to salt? Pepper is a wonderful compliment to salt. Yeah. 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 But is salt, salt itself, I mean, it, it wasn't until, you know, after school when you, actually went and studied in Scandinavia for your MBA, that you found this relationship with salt. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I dis- for lack of a better term or phrase, I discovered good salt while I was living in Scandinavia. My girlfriend at the time, um, 
bought a package of salt for 60 kroner or the equivalent of $10. And I was a student at the time. And um, I was like, what are you doing? We can't spend, you know, 60 kroner on salt. Um, and it was a lot for salt. Um, but uh, I tried the salt and it was life-changing. It was literally, and this is what I'm doing now, which is I still kind of slap myself and pinch myself pretty frequently because I feel really, really lucky to be doing what I love. But um, salt is one of those things that it's, you know, I tasted it and it was, it was, it it was so transformational for the food that I mean it's it's the single most effective way you can elevate each bite of food, and um, not only effective but affordable. It's like yes, it's expensive for salt, but you know we're talking you know less than pennies per serving. So um, it's still you know when you compare that you know great salt to a wonderful bottle of wine, um, you know you can get the best salt in the world, a chef jar of our salt for forty five dollars, um, or you can get a you know great $45 bottle of wine and, and that's wonderful but the bottle of wine in my house will be gone in an hour or less <laughs> oh, my house as well yeah, we're on the same page yeah and, and you know but you know I buy a chef jar of salt and it would last you know a month or two and so that's you know there's a little goes a long way well let's talk about that first experience with salt you know yeah. that, that you know, Scandinavian uh, epiphany you had what was it did you just huff it snuff it take one <laughs> bite and life was changed or was it on a dish i mean how was it applied it was it was it was on a dish um i think we were um what were we making i think we were making um meatballs and uh, in scandinavia of course we had brown gravy of some sort <laughs> and uh boiled potatoes and we put it on the boiled potatoes and then we had a, a little currant uh, jelly and um and uh put it on the boiled potatoes. I think that was the first meal I had the salt with. And it was just like, you had this delicate crunch, um, that contrasted perfectly with this soft boiled potato, um, and butter. And it just was, it was so, so good. It was wonderful. So what, what does the word finishing mean to you? Finishing salt? Yeah. You know, it's finishing. I mean, to me, it's, 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 um, I guess using less salt during the actual cooking process um, and more salt at the very end. Um, so, uh, you know, rather than um, salting your, your pasta or your, you know, your water heavily that you're boiling your potatoes in, um, you boil the potatoes in, you know, a lightly salted water, and then you finish once the t- potatoes are plated or in a serving dish, um, you salt them then. And you just get this beautiful textural contrast, um, that you're able to, um, you know, get, you get this light, delicate crunch that that's so nice uh, when you're, you know, different textures and and um, are nice when you're when you're having different foods and and especially when it highlights and brings out, you know, all sorts of different salinity of of, of the food that you're eating. So I mean, this was in your mind, it, be at the forefront or back burner. Yeah. And you went through, got your MBA, went into tech, moved to the West Coast. But when did you decide? Salt's going to be my thing. Well, I never really decided it was going to be my thing. It was always kind of pulling me, um, to be honest. And it was, I was always interested in it. Um, and I moved back to the Pacific Northwest um, and thought it was strange how, you know, the region had evolved from a culinary standpoint so far. Um, and a lot of that evolution had was based around the best raw ingredients you can get. So the best fruits and vegetables in America. Sorry, no offense to the rest of America. <laughs> but, I mean, we have 
it's 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 uh it's we have an abundance you know in the pacific northwest um the best fish um you know uh some of the best grains hops you know wine beer etc and um but the one thing that that brings everything together that tied everything together within that you know from that culinary standpoint which is salt wasn't being harvested in the pacific northwest let alone really um the u.s there are a couple of other salt harvesting companies um and a couple other a couple of them have have popped up since we've started up which is no surprise but it's um you know salt harvesting is 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 something that has largely been forgotten in america and so anyway so moved back to the northwest looked at companies like malden from the uk and very similar climate similar levels of precipitation and so knew that you know that precipitation and climate wasn't a factor in making good salt um so that had me scratching my head even more and um, wanted to figure out how to make good salt. And really it was a trial and error process of two and a half years. Um, it was very, very easy to make bad salt. Um, and bad salt is just bad. It's, it's nasty. It's like bad beer or bad wine. You just don't want to eat it or drink it. Um, but it was, um, difficult to make good salt. And so, you know, there, there were no guidebooks or blogs to follow or anything. So, it really was just a trial and error process over a couple of years. Well, you talked about salt being a common thread yeah. amongst uh, all those other, you know, food uh, movements, wine, beer, but water as well. And it, it's a very important part to making salt. And let's actually just talk through the process of how do you actually make salt? Where does it come from? Um, salt comes from, you know, the salt that we make, uh, comes from seawater. Um, we harvest, um, we have a facility right on the Oregon coast, um, in Neatarts Bay, which is, it's an amazingly beautiful bay. I'm getting cold chills just thinking about it. Um, I am, but I think it's just because of the flu. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's gorgeous. Some of the world's best oysters are farmed in Neatarts Bay and, you know, oysters being bivalve shellfish, they, you know, are constantly filtering the water on our behalf. Um, and it's an exceptionally clean bay as well. You know, we have very little runoff into the bay. Um, so first and foremost, our water is some of the best in the world, plain and simple, point blank. It's And I've tested 30 spots along the Oregon and Washington coast, and um, where we are is, is simply the best. I mean, what do you test for? Alkalinity, salinity? We No, actually, well, yeah, we, we, we tested for all of that, but we also I also ended up making salt from 30 different spots along the, along the coast, um, the northern coast of the U.S., and compared the salt made from each spot, um, you know, to its, against each, one another. And uh, much like you would compare wine from different terroirs, um, you know, you, uh, there's, there's an absolute difference in the salts or the, you know, the result that you get out of different inputs. But how do you actually harvest and make the salt? Yeah, yeah. So first and foremost, we start with the best water possible. We filter it through a gravity-fed sand filter um, into holding tanks, and then we move it into boilers. And whenever we move the water, we end up, we filter it. So we end up, we end up filtering it about eight times before it even um, goes into our final process. Um, but we filter the water, boil it, and boil it um, to remove the, the volume, and also very importantly to remove the calcium and the magnesium that give a lot of sea salts a very bitter taste. And if you taste our salts, it's a very kind of clean and briny taste um, with you know no bitter aftertaste whatsoever or astringency on the backside of your tongue. And that's a very deliberate um, 
you know, step on our part. Um, we wanted the salt just to, um, to shine on us, to let, you know, salt, to let help, help food shine rather than getting in the way of that. Um, and once the, once the brine has been reduced at that point, we then move it into large custom made, um, stainless steel evaporation pans and, um, the over a very low temperature the the salt crystals form um over a period of time and um and um salt crystals fall to the bottom of the pan we then um, harvest the crystals uh with a custom made again um salt harvesting uh tool um and then drain them drain the salt crystals and then dry them after they're dried um we hand sort every piece of salt that goes out of our facility and then we hand package everything. Talk about meticulous. For better or worse. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, the shape of salt, too, you know, uh, finishing salt or Jacobson salt has a structure to it that's unlike table salt, kosher salt. What what makes it special and what is that structure? It's, um, you know, I, I uh, the, the, what makes the structure is, is a, a combination of um, the minerality of the brine that the salt is actually made in. So how much calcium, how much magnesium is in it. Um, and then the time and the temperature, um, that you, that, that in which the salt is made, and, you know, there are infinite numbers of combinations that you could take down that road. Um, our salt is, is really, um, has the appearance really of shaved ice is kind of a, a an analogy I like. And, and it's just, it, it shimmeries. It's, it's very, sh- it's, it shimmeries. Um, it's very. Um, I'm shaking it here in the chef jar. Shake, shake it even closer to the microphone. Do you hear that short salt shake? I mean, that's not the sound you get from a salt shaker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it sounds. It sounds like yeah. I'm shaking shaved ice, really, and it's um, it's gorgeous, and it's a really delicate flake. You know, um, we get uh, we get you know pyramids, which um, a lot of folks like, but you know, it's also just we also get a lot of flat flakes that are, um, that are, uh, you know, like shavings of ice and it's, they're gorgeous and it's a really, really delicate crystal. You compare ours, our salt to Malden salt and Malden is, you know, typically the salt that chefs are, are replacing in their kitchens, um, with our salt, which is amazing. And, and, you know, our salt is, it's, a, it's definitely a little bit more delicate of, of a crystal than Malden, um, has a bit cleaner of a finish. Um, and appearance-wise, it, it has almost a shimmer, um, whereas Malden more appears kind of white and and almost chalky. Yeah, you know, I just ate a piece of salt, and often you'd be like, "Wow, that's salty." I mean, yeah. as as abstract as that sounds, the salt <laughs> is salty. But I mean, you can eat a piece of salt, like you can take a flake out and enjoy it. Yeah, and understand, you know, how minerally how how it has a different not just texture but flavor entirely of anything you. I mean, it's, it's its own component. It's not just salt in a dish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, yeah, you can eat it straight out of the jar, and it's amazing. And it's, it's, uh, that's that's amazing to me. And and I do tastings all the time. And here I am eating a piece of salt. And um, how's your salt? Uh, you know, when you go to the doctor, how is your salt? <laughs> I haven't been to the doctor in yeah. a while, but I do exercise quite a bit, and yeah. um, so I'm not I'm not worried about it. And you know, as long as everything in moderation and everything in balance. Yeah, um, should be good. Well, we're going to talk about the steps you took to build Jacobson Salt and the crazy amounts of non-moderation <laughs> you used to cart 
water back and forth to Portland until you realize Manifest Destiny should be by the bay. <laughs> You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Welcome back to the Poutine on Heritage Radio Network.org. Chewing with your mouth open. Yeah, you caught me with some salty black licorice. (laughs) This stuff is amazing. Thank you. Jacobson Salt. Yeah, stuck everywhere, but I don't care. So this is a collaboration you did with Quinn Candy. Jamie, Quinn? Jamie Curl? Jamie Jamie Curl, yeah, yeah. Of Quinn Candy. Um, Also in Portland. Hold on, I'm just going to save it. Is your mouth watering right now? It is. (laughs) Luckily... They can't see us on the radio. But I do want to say, we are both sporting our Jacobson salt caps. Yes, sir. Check out the merchandise on the site, because it is, <laughs> I feel quite dapper as a host right now. But salt, again, can happen in so many capacities throughout the industry. How did you start selling salt to you know the, the public, to chefs? Yeah, it was, you know, truthfully, it was, it was not... By design, and I didn't set out to to start a salt company. It was I, you know, um, I loved harvesting salt, and I loved good salt, and I wanted to figure out how to make great salt. And um, so once once I did, at least you know, I think we got it to that point. Then, um, you know, I, I put a little brand around it and. Wanted something that I was that I would be proud of, and and didn't know what the heck to call it, and um, was going to call it Oregon Salt Company, and that was lame, and you know, a um, bunch of other stuff, and and um, ended up calling Jacobson Salt Co. because I've got friends who are winemakers, and his one of my friends' wine wineries is called Groshaw Cellars, and that's his last name, so I said, ah, oh, that's possible. Yeah. So anyway. Um, slapped a name on it and um and then brought it to a um a uh vendor fair at new seasons which is like a local whole foods in portland oregon and new seasons was our first customer and they said we love it and the way i demoed it was i 
brought a, a fresh tomato from my um, parents' garden, sliced it there with, on a cutting board with a knife, sprinkled salt over it, and gave it to him. And um, they said, we love it. We want a cage for each store. How soon can you get it to us? I was like, holy shit. <laughs> How am I going to do this? How I'm much were you making business. at that point? Oh, at that point, I was maybe making two or three pounds at once. Yeah. And so this order would was, what, 33 pounds? Yeah. So it was um, – I quickly had, had to quickly figure stuff out. Well, I mean, let's talk about volume because at, at points you were transporting – because you were making it in Portland. Yeah. You were transporting from, you know, the bay. Yeah. How many pounds at a time? Thousands of pounds of water. Thousands of pounds. I mean, at, at the very most, I was moving 9,000 pounds of water um, in a rented Penske truck. Um, <laughs> well, what's the yield on that? 9,000 pounds of water makes uh, X amount of salt. I'm horrible at math. Um, I uh, 9,000 pounds of water. Let me get back to you, and yeah. I'll do some quick <laughs> math here. Um, it's, it makes, it makes uh, a, a fair amount more than you, than you would actually think. We get about three ounces of, of salt for every two and a half to three ounces of salt for every gallon of water. Yeah. So whatever that is times, um, times that. We'll, we'll let the listeners do the math. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a surprising amount of, of salt in seawater. Yeah. Um. So then from selling at the market, there's obviously another sect of people rather than the general public, and that's chefs. Were you approached by them? Did you go in thinking that they needed this for their restaurants? Um, no. Um, uh, no. Again, it was, it was, you know, it was, it just kind of happened. Um, I was approached, um, the first ever chef that uses our salt was Justin Wills, James Beard-nominated chef, uh, in Oregon on the coast. And he reached out to me over Twitter of all places and said, Hey, heard about your salt. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, want to try it. So we connected at some point and, and he did, and he still uses it, which is wonderful. And, um, and then it really just, um, spread from there. I think Jason French from Portland, um, of Ned Ludd, um, was the second <laughs> chef and, um, Portland chefs, chef started using it. Then Seattle chefs, um, and, and, um, bunch of chefs in San Francisco, um, New York now, Chicago, L.A., um, and it just really has just spread through word of mouth. Yeah, and let's talk about application, too, because you must have gone around and tasted your salt on certain people's dishes so you could you know, best explain how to apply liberally or not salt to dishes. So what, what have you eaten around the country with Jacobson salt on it? <laughs> Um, baked eggs at the Breslin. Um, Chef April Bloomfield uses our salt, um, and uh, at the at all of our restaurants, Breslin, Spotted Pig, um, Salvation Taco, and um, John Dory, and then also Tosca Cafe in San Francisco. Um, but baked eggs um, at at the Breslin are fantastic, and um, they they finish it with our salt, and it's just it's wonderful. I'm, I love eggs. They're just, yeah. it's such, it's, to me, it's almost like the perfect food. It's, they're, they're protein packed, they're portable, they're healthy, they're, you know, they're fully renewable. <laughs> well, I mean, you wrote to me too that one of your favorite things to put salt on is simply eggs and toast. Totally. I mean, how, how do you make your eggs and toast? Is there a specific way? Um, no, there's, uh, I mean, I, you know, throw a couple of slices of bread in the toaster. Um, when it's out, start to butter it to to where it melts a little bit. Um, fry an egg. Um, 
just you know put some oil in a pan, um, fry the egg, um, and uh, and until the the edges of the egg of the um, of the egg white you know get kind of golden brown and, and crispy, um, but then the the center of the the yolk is still a little bit runny and um, and put it on toast and then um, a little bit of salt and and good to go and it takes you know four minutes tops and um, it's easy it's quick it's um, super tasty and healthy and it just sates the soul totally yeah you know and it's so simple toast and eggs and, and, and salt really transforms that in a way but you know sometimes you're out and there isn't that finishing salt but you make these amazing pocket sized tins is that what you had in Scandinavia were they small little like sachets of salt that you walked around with all the time <laughs> just in case no um, I didn't uh, no I didn't have those over there um, but they they are wonderful. Yeah, it's it's nice to be able to bring a slide tin with you, you know, wherever you go to a restaurant or to a barbecue or what have you. And um, it's just it's it's uh, it's one. I love going out to eat, and um, it's tough to go out to eat and um, have you know under seasoned food. And so it's just nice to bring good salt with you wherever you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you ever put out this giant chef's? You know, uh, um, amount of salt on the table while you're dining at, you know, no. uh, no. <laughs> that would be that'd be uh, far too. Rude. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about these collaborations again, because yeah. starting with Quinn Candy, the salty black licorice harkens back to Scandinavia. Yeah. I mean, it's such a cool thing. It's not just like this very imaginative, you know, poof that happened. Yeah. No, it's it's, you know, salty black licorice. I discovered in Scandinavia, too, and it's wonderful in northern Europe. It's quite popular and um when i you know when i after that i started the salt company i was like huh what you know i wonder if we could do a, a salty black licorice because i love it and i used to you know buy it all the time and i lived there and um started looking around and couldn't find it anywhere in america and um so found a candy maker um in town and and um said hey i want to i want to i want to make this happen um and we've got a little bit of salt so um let's let's make it happen and um tested a bunch of recipes and trial and error over the course of a few weeks and um ended up with this wonderful you know wonderfully rich kind of almost caramelly um black licorice it's yeah nice. and it's amazing and it's so it's addictive like i had a hard time giving it away for the holidays <laughs> i found myself dipping my hand in there having a whole bunch um but i mean you're working with other industries too i'm assuming pinot noir you know, obviously a huge grape in Oregon, and you have a Pinot Noir salt. How how is that made? Um, the Pinot Noir salt is made with Groshaw Cellars, um, uh, Groshaw Cellars Pinot, and we made it with Gr- John Groshaw um, because John used to let me use his forklift um, <laughs> when I was moving ten thousand pounds of water off the uh, off of my rented Penske truck. And aside from that fact, he's a great friend and makes incredible wine. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we we actually infuse, um, we pour the wine, um, reduced wine into our salt pans, and then um, and then you can smell it. it. Smells like a nice glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the salt crystals actually form with the wine um, very slowly. And then um, and then after it's done, then we spray even more wine over it and then let it dry even more. And they're beautiful. I mean, like the blush that yeah. you know, the color of that salt is just it's gorgeous. And you see pink salts, you know, Hawaiian pink salts. You see these black volcanic salts. This is just 
a really fun and interesting way too though so bring different colors and flavor profiles to salt itself yeah absolutely what else we have lemon zest we've ghost pepper chili yeah we have white truffle so you're, you're having fun with this stuff oh it's it's a lot of fun and they they truly are just fun and one thing i didn't bring today which i'm really psyched about is our Stumptown coffee salt and um and uh it's it's wonderful it's it's um it's just this rich um it tastes, um, it, it tastes, uh, it tastes like a caramel almost. I know I keep bringing that up, but it's, it, it tastes wonderful. Um, and one of my favorite things to do is, and it's super easy again, is, is slice an acorn squash, put a little bit of water in the bottom of the pan, scoop out the seeds, um, of the squash, butter and brown sugar, score the squash and, um, then fin it and bake it and then finish it with, uh, with the Stumptown coffee salt. And it's wonderful. Yeah. What other kind of flavor profiles do you think pair well with salt that you might infuse or infuse salt upon? Um, in the future? Yeah. Well, we're working on a couple. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Um, well, we'll keep watching. <laughs> we're working on a couple that I'm, I'm really, really psyched about for sure. There's yeah. a chocolate bar you know, sitting in front of us. Yes. Tell me about that. Um, the chocolate bar is, uh, came about as a result of um, a friend of mine, David Briggs, and I were having out having beers in portland david's a chocolate maker and owns um chocolat de david and an impossibly um difficult name to pronounce <laughs> and spell um but it's um spelled x-o-c-o-l-a-t-l de david and um his chocolate is amazing and so um we made and david was a pastry chef before he uh, made chocolate um super super talented guy and so um we said, "Hey, we should do a chocolate bar together." And I said, "Yeah, that's awesome." So um, he uses our mineral salt, and our mineral salt is a little bit more mineral rich, has more calcium, more magnesium than our flake salt does, and um, is <clears throat> really being used by chefs to replace kosher salt. Ava Jean's, a restaurant in Portland, uses only our our mineral salt in place of, of kosher salt huh. and our flake salt. Period. Well, I mean, let's talk about the difference between sea salt and kosher salt. Yeah. Um, I used to think it's just because one's hollow and one's not. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's more than that. What What is the true difference between? I mean, kosher salt is a highly industrialized, processed um, ingredient. Um, and um, very, very, um, you know, uh, very, very, um, it's a standardized product, um, which is fine for some applications. But you compare the taste of kosher salt to the taste of a good sea salt. And there is no comparison plain and simple. It's kosher salt tastes, um, like an industrialized product, um, tastes bitter. It tastes, um, it tastes fake. It doesn't taste like the sea at all. Um, whereas a good sea salt tastes like the sea and tastes briny and it just, it washes your mouth with flavor. Yeah. So, I mean, do you get kickback from the kosher salt board? Is there, is there, is there, you know, like I get no kickback from no, the kosher salt no, board. No. <laughs> I think they probably don't like, like me, but I don't think we're doing anything to, I don't think we're, we're even a blip on their radar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so can people make salt at home? I mean, it seems like such a simple thing, but the, the way you explain it, such a thorough process is, is there a simplified way to actually maybe understand the process and, and do it yourself? It's it's easy to make salt at home. It's easy. It's very difficult to make good salt at home, though. Um, and um, you know, good salt requires equipment that we had to invest in. Requires um, all sorts of filtration and 
um, and then you know time and uh, and then you know I've ruined several several good pots because you know salt is highly caustic and will rust everything and I unfortunately know that all too well um, <laughs> but it's you know so it's we've learned by trial and error and 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 I've ruined several good stainless steel pots because of that yeah yeah well I want to talk about the actual facility you process in because after years or after some time in Portland transporting water back and forth, you, you moved to the Bay yeah. and you, you, you know, found an old oyster farm converted into the business itself. I mean, do you give tours one? And if people came and saw the process, I mean, what are they seeing in that Bay? Obviously there's the beautiful water. There's probably an oyster bed, but, I mean, what is it about the air and the terroir of that place that translates so well into your product? Um, the bay is so pristine and it's so clean. Uh, and, um, you know, it's not a bay that's used for recreational purpose, really. Um, you get a lot of people that are crabbing on the bay. Um, a lot of oyster farmers, obviously. Um, but not, and by a lot of oyster farmers, I mean eight oyster farms total. <laughs> um, so that's a lot in the bay. Um, so it's it's you know it's it's an incredibly pristine place that um, is just kind of untouched. And and when people think of the Oregon coast, they don't think of Neatarts Bay, which is good um, because that means a lot of folks aren't going there. Um, we we don't give um, tours yet. Um, we're going to we plan on starting tours in May at our facility. Um, but it's, you know, it's nothing fancy. We're a tiny little company, and and um, as of uh, December first, we just started paying for health insurance for all of our employees, all of our twelve employees. So, not a lot, but it's something I'm really proud of. And you know, I guess all that is to say that we're taking tiny steps every single day that we can. But it's it's not a fancy operation, and it's not, um, it's, you know, it's 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 um it's not full of 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 shine and glamour it's it's um you know we we work hard out there and it's it's um we make i think some of the best salt in the world yeah there's shimmer <laughs> absolutely there is that and so you have that bay and you talk about terroir but like wine are you looking for other water sources other bays other locations to you know have other facilities quite possibly yeah and we'll leave it at that <laughs> but if you have not tried jacobson salt i mean you're gonna have that scandinavian epiphany <laughs> that bended himself. Please go check it out. Ben, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to be out in Portland in May. Hopefully I'll be on your first tour. Let's go eat. Excellent. Fantastic. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.